Hey, welcome. It's another edition of On the Wing podcast with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. I am Bob St. Pierre, and joining me uh, as co host for this particular episode is Carp, as you'll come to know him, Tom Carpenter, the editor of the Pheasants Forever Journal. Carp, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Bird season's getting rolling at this point while we're recording, and uh, I'm pretty excited. Uh, you know, one thing that we just finished in the office uh, was the editorial calendars for both the Pheasants Forever Journal and the Quail Forever Journal for 2019. So folks that are out there listening and are members of the organization, um, they'll get the publication, right? The pub- uh, Pheasants Forever Journal or Quail Forever Journal yep. is one of the the primary benefits of membership in addition to, you know, being part of the cause to create habitat. One of the things that comes in the mailbox is, is the journal. Uh, since you're the editor, you, you know, you steer the ship for the journal. Give, give our listeners, our members a little bit of a flavor for the highlights that have you excited for 2019, the year ahead in the journal. Now we're, we're looking a little ways out, but you know, what's coming up on the horizon for members? Well, yeah, you said steering the ship. We're putting oars in the water, I guess, right now. Um, you know, really, there will be five issues next year. Um, and one of them is the Upland Bird Hunting Super Issue. That's our annual issue that covers species beyond pheasants and quail. Uh, we go into the prairie grouse, forest grouse, doves, you name it. So that's sort of the outlier. That's sort of the that's sort of the candy. That's the all hunting issue all the time. Um, but in the other issues, we get working pretty hard on uh, the mission, the habitat mission, uh, conservation, uh, everything our chapters are doing to put habitat on the ground for pheasants and quail. Um, so we're going to start out the year with an issue, uh, a theme called Conservation Coast to Coast. And that one's pretty simple. Um, and that is pheasants forever and quails forever. Their footprints are, go far beyond the Midwest that a lot of us think about. You know, we all sort of think about South Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, Illinois, Kansas, and Nebraska, the heartland. But we have footprints from California out to Pennsylvania and Maryland. And um, we're going to cover the country with our conservation mission and the message. Um, Summer, we're going to do bird dogs. Uh, I would venture a guess that 95% of the people listening to this podcast, if not more, are bird dog people. No matter what their species or no matter what the breed of dog they like, um, they are bird dog people. And we're going to talk about the bird dog lifestyle, not just hunting with them, but training them, living with them, everything. Um, the, I'm, I'm going to jump ahead to the last issue of the year is going to be the, win- the winter issue will be all lifestyle. That's going to go a little beyond hunting into, into uh, cooking, literature, art, maybe wine, whatever, all the different aspects that make us bird hunters far beyond just in autumn. We're bird hunters all year round. Um, but the one I really want to focus on and, and that's sort of going to lead us into some of our other topics today is our public lands issue. That's going to be our summer issue, and it's going to be about just that, public lands. Is uh, that the summer or the fall? Um, pu- it's fall. You're yeah. right. You're right. Public lands is fall. The, yeah, the bird dogs is the summer. Yeah, bird dogs is summer. There we go. So, and it'll be just in time. Now, this year we're going to do our public lands issue. Um 
there's going to be plenty of time for this issue for people to get ideas like they as they will in the upland super issue for their upcoming fall hunts but public lands issue is going to be just about that our public land uh, legacy that pheasants forever and quail forever are helping to create in this country not only not only the things we're doing in acquisition but the themes and the conservation we're promoting uh, so there's going to be a lot of stories in there about how public lands are built and made and provided to us as hunters and as outdoors people and, it, and it's also about the people behind it the human stories so that's a brief rundown yeah. of what's coming uh what's coming up it's got me really excited um it's going to be a good year for the magazine and the website well we'll have uh, chad love up uh coming up from oklahoma our quail forever editor is actually the only employee in the marketing and communications department that works remotely uh he he lives in um um what's the name of the town woodward oklahoma. woodward oklahoma that's exactly right and he uh he will be on a future episode to give uh, listeners a preview of the 2019 quail forever journal um uh, kind of editorial calendar yep. uh but that that sets a nice uh, you know nice stage for what what is coming ahead in the year ahead it opens the door to a conversation that we're going to have next with Travis Frank, who is joining us for this podcast. He's the, the host of The Flush on Outdoor Channel, which is the Pheasants Forever show that's been on for, gosh, it's got to be a decade now, right? Well, I mean, it's yeah. changed names since it started. It's, it's, greater, it's more than a decade. So, mm-hmm. so 2005 was the first season Pheasants of Pheasants Forever, Forever Television. Television. Yep. And when did it change to the flush? I want to say seven years ago, I think. Six, seven years ago, right. something like sure. that. Yeah. And, you know, that was, truthfully, that was before my time even. <laughs> like before you were born? <laughs> not quite, not quite. But uh, <laughs> no, it's it's changed a little bit. And you were part of the creation of this show. and, and uh, I'm like 33 years old. <laughs> Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because well, we had talked. So the organization had talked about having a television show for a long time. Right? Mm-hmm. So we were, um, as folks know, the organization was born in 82. And probably, you know, beginning in the 90s, folks had talked about, okay, how do we have a television show? But our model where, you know, the, the chapters control the funds locally, there's not a lot of wiggle room for doing extras and the television show was sort of always viewed as an extra and then along along came ron shara mm-hmm. and said you know uh, i want to do this yeah and i'll take the risk yeah and ron you know he's been in television for 25 years and his every show that he's ever produced is about telling stories mm-hmm. and he's a pheasants forever life member conservationist at his core and so for him you know this was just a one, he loved bird hunting, loved pheasant hunting, still does to this day. And to be able to tell these stories, it was something that he felt, you know, it. I, I think if you would ask him, he would say it's more of like a partnership for him yeah. to be able to want to do this and tell these stories. And there are so many good stories out there. I mean, realistically, we, we just barely scratch the surface on the stories that we wish we could tell. So that's what we're going to do today is we're going to dip into the backstories mm-hmm. of some of the, the television episodes that people have seen on The Flush. Um, 
And we're going to start with your story, Travis. All right. uh, tell us a little bit about uh, who Travis Frank is as a young man growing up and who you are today as a young man. <laughs> <laughs> I still think I'm a young man you growing are. up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been at Ron Share Productions for 10 years now. And The Flush is one of eight shows that we produce right now, eight different television shows. Taking it even further back, I grew up in central Minnesota, and my dad loved to hunt and fish. Both of my grandpas loved to hunt and fish. My uncles did. And I had a neighbor that would take me out fishing twice a week. Hmm. He would, once a week, he would go fishing in the evening, and then every Saturday morning. And one thing I still, to this day, when I see him, I, I give him a hug and I say thanks, because he didn't have to take me, right. but he did. And I also had access to a lot of land in my backyard. We lived in a neighborhood, but there were several hundred acres of basically CRP grasses, hmm. ponds, uh, wetlands, trees. And so I was obsessed with being in the outdoors. And I would go back into the woods. And I mean, before I could legally hunt the age of 12 in Minnesota at that time, I had probably 75 deer stands up in the trees. <laughs> I would sit in the trees, and then my dad would say, well. So you what? weren't hunting. You were just watching? I was just watching. Huh. Yeah, I was just studying the animals. And it was, I mean, we had everything from ducks to pheasants in our back, you know, in this land back there. And the landowner was okay that I was back there. And, um, you know, so it was a real opportunity for me to grow up basically living in, in the forest. And we were just out outside of Minneapolis about an hour west and uh, I still look back and think, if I could give that to my kids to be able to literally live with the animals. I mean, I watched does give birth to fawns. I, I, I watched, you know, hmm. pheasants that would come through our backyard. And I was just fascinated by them. And so that really kind of grew into my outdoor career. I, I went fishing as often as I could. And I actually started a fishing guide service at the age of 16. And that carried me through college, which became, I, I grew my client base to the point where I was able to quit my summer job and just be a fishing guide full time. Now, once the fall hunting season started, I mean, I was, you know, I, I, I was out there hunting whatever I could, basically. Uh -huh. um, and... So, so let me ask you this. You're, yeah. I know about your fishing, and you're a great muskie guide. I've written stories about you and your muskie escapades. We all know muskies are great late fall fish. Mm -hmm. How do you, do you balance that out? Do you hunt? Do you fish for muskies? Do you have to do it all? I am so torn. Basically, <laughs> from mid-September through December 1st, I, I want to be outside 100% of the time. I'm torn on it, but the, the truth is if I, I would be hunting if I could. So I try to mix it as, as best I can. And obviously now being on the road a lot, my fishing days are few in comparison to the hunting, which I'm okay with at the same time. Well, just since we are on the musky talk, <laughs> yeah. I've got to throw it out there because I think you and I really got to know each other yeah. through musky fishing, right? You took me out and caught the biggest muskie of my life on your boat. Mm -hmm. I, you basically told me exactly where to cast, how to set the hook, <laughs> <laughs> and did the whole nine yards other than I took the photo with the fish. But no, you reeled it in. I, I, you I reeled that fish in. in. But yeah. So... You know, you absolutely, like, there's no reason for me to promote this other than you are the greatest musky fishing guide <laughs> I've ever met. No, so, I'm, and you still do it a little bit, right? I, I do. It's very limited amount. So very limited. if folks 
And like again, there's, I we're not you're not paying us to there's promote no, your musky no, fishing, no. but if folks want to go musky fishing in the Twin Cities, you still do well anywhere in Minnesota, Minnetonka, Waconia. Mm-hmm. Um, Travis is the guy. He like he knows exactly up, upon which rocks, or <laughs> right next to which rocks they're living. If you if folks want to hit you up and f- you know go on a musky trip, how do yeah. they do that? Well, I mean, they just research. They would just Google my name and musky fishing or, or trophy encounters. Trophyencounters.com. Yeah. Okay, yeah. but I don't like promoting myself. I honest. know you don't. Yeah. I'm doing it because <laughs> I had the most wonderful musky fishing experience with you. So well, I appreciate that. We we'll, we'll leave the musky talk to another podcast. <laughs> that sounds good. Um, that sounds but, good. But uh, like folks listening, he knows. His A to Z's, Travis Frank, um, trophyencounters.com. You can talk pheasants forever and bird hunting, quail forever, while you're on a musky boat in the middle of July. But mm-hmm. um, anyways, let's let's go back. So so you're um, you grew up kind of in the outdoors. I th- mm-hmm. You went to Bemidji State, right? I did. Yep. Did you did you study uh, wildlife at Bemidji? My background is actually in business. Okay. Business management is is my degree. And of course, if you go to school up there, there's a reason for it. Right. I did a lot of grouse hunting when I went to school up there. I know some great public properties up there. I did uh, quite a bit of deer hunting and uh, duck and goose yeah. hunting as well. Tremendous waterfall it, hunting. Up yeah, there. it has a little bit of everything. Um, yeah, and then after, you know, if if I look back on my my bird hunting days you know it's it's a kind of a a different story from a lot of people that i that i Hmm. get to tell the story of because both my parents grew up on farms in western minnesota and they had they had dogs they had farm dogs and but they didn't have the opportunity to go bird hunting so when we moved when i where i grew up we were in a neighborhood and both my parents said nope this is not a place to have a pet Hmm. you're not going to get a dog so i never had a dog I never had a hunting companion. All this time I grew up, I didn't have that, which almost everybody that I run into, they say, you know, oh, I had a dog my whole life, or this is my first bird dog, or this is my, you know, so not having that, I feel like a little bit of an outsider. Um, And then, you know, through college, I amazingly, I made it through that period, and I didn't get a bird dog when I moved away. And then working at this this job here at Ron Share Productions, I spent a lot of time out on the road and I never felt that it would be fair hmm. to get a dog if I wasn't able to be there and spend the time that I felt I wanted to spend with it. So to this day, my wife and now three kids that we have, every, the last four years we said, okay, we're getting a dog. And then all of a sudden, New kid down the we're having a ba- <laughs> yeah, We're having a baby. Yes. They say, okay, the dog waits. The dog waits another year. The dog waits another year. So I have now experienced <laughs> hunting behind some of North America's best bird hunting dogs, and it's changed my view a lot. And maybe we'll get into that topic yeah, a little bit sure later. But um, you know, it, so I've been producing the flush now for five years, and it's taken me to some of North America's best upland bird hunting destinations, and just some of America's best places. Well. You know exactly where I want to go, right? Yeah. So, so five seasons of the flush, you've hunted everything from uh, pheasants, 
and obviously mm-hmm. different species of quail, right? So help me out. Bob white, yeah. uh, scaled, merns. Well, so last season I hunted 10 different species of upland birds. <laughs> I know. I know. Pinch me. I, yeah. I, I counted it up last year and I said, wow, yeah. I will look back on this time period of my life and just cherish it, you know, just really cherish it. There's stresses yeah. with producing a show. When I go there, I have to come home with the television show and you're dealing with a wild animal, er, animals or birds, mm-hmm. you know, wild critters. There's no staging it. There's mm-hmm. no, okay, cue the birds, let them flush now. Right. Okay, did you get that? No, it's all wild. And so there's a stress to it too. And, you know, I just literally last week was in the field and the temperatures were extreme. And it's like, we have to be thinking very smart here. We need to maximize our time and the dogs and what's what we should be doing. So... So there, that's an important component, right? Um, mm-hmm. f- so Pheasants Forever, Federal Ammunition, and mm-hmm. Ron Share Productions, kind of the three main components of this show, mm-hmm. since the very beginning has always said this show is about the wild experience, you know, nothing uh, against the, the, the canned hunts or preserves, but this is about telling the story of habitat mm-hmm. and chasing wild birds. So like you say, there's nobody in the field hold hold. You know, yeah. I, I remember the the television show Jimmy Big Time. Yep, you remember that? <laughs> yep. one? Oh, absolutely. Right? They did a they did a mockumentary episode <laughs> about a canned pheasant hunt where a guy's laying in the grass holding a bird to his chest. <laughs> and right, and the host walks closer, <laughs> and they release it into the air. Right, it was absolutely hysterical. And if that you know, if if you haven't ever watched Jimmy Big Time, go YouTube it. Oh, for sure, it it is hilarious, but. That's different than the flush. The flush is, like you said, completely organic. Mm-hmm. You're depending upon birds being there, mm-hmm. which we all know as bird hunters, it's oh, hunting. You never know, right? It, absolutely. And you're depending on when you show up that the bird dog's working successfully and everything coming together, mm-hmm. which uh, when it does, it creates for great television. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when it doesn't come together, it creates for great television. It too. does. It really does. And I think what I've learned over the course of doing this is that you just have to roll with it. And the the true struggles that we experience on the road, I always tell the cameraman, like, please roll. Yeah. Please roll on this. This is real. This is what happens out here. Everybody watching this can relate to it mm-hmm. because that's what happens when you go hunting with buddies. You don't just say, all right, up, oh, cut that. I missed it. You know, mm-hmm. roll on that. I missed, yeah. I missed like eight different right. perfect opportunities last week. And his, and the next... his buddy giving him grief is some of the greatest absolutely, content, right? Absolutely. And if, if something happens to a bird dog and he gets into a porcupine, mm. roll on that too, because that's, we've all been there. We've all been there. That happens. And so, um, you know, when this show originally began, it was Pheasants Forever Television. Ron Shera started it, and he told conservation stories about people that cared about the land yep. and the birds. And what was it, seven years ago, eight years ago, the direction of the show was kind of shifted to say, we want to showcase, yes, we want to showcase land, uh, habitat, conservation, right. but we also wanted to show adventure and try to show people what else is out there in the upland world and so that is what's really at my core is the adventure side of being able to show people what else is out there and in the last few years and even moving forward right now i'm i'm always amazed at what's out there because people 
you know, that aren't in this world, they think, you know, epic adventure, that's that week-long horseback elk hunt, right? Mm -hmm. or, or the wilds of Alaska for a moose. And they don't equate epic adventure with bird hunting, but it's there. It is We've there. all experienced it. So, mm -hmm. so let's dive into that. Tell us a little bit, like, when I say the single best memory from a show, mm -hmm. uh, what immediately pops to mind is like, oh, I got to tell this story. Oh, you know, it's 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 really hard to pick just one. Okay. Being being truthfully honest, um, well, give us a couple then. So, my first quail hunt, Bob White quail, down in Oklahoma. Okay, we we're hunting some public land down there, and I I made friends with a bird hunting guru. His name is George Lyle, and he has two English pointers, and they are world class dogs. They are incredible dogs, and we went on this hunt and essentially it just it was george and i and we spent this day and we had snow flurries in the morning it was late season and i had never you know being a minnesota guy we just don't have covey flushes mm -hmm. you know like you can flush up some good pheasants and uh you know i've seen explosions of you know hundreds of birds but or a brood of grouse, right? Yeah. But it's different when you're hunting quail. When you're hunting quail and you experience an explosion of 20 birds coming out of, basically hold your arms in a circle and say right. 20 birds are going to blow out of that area. And watching his dog just, you know, we hunted one dog at a time, and, you know, that dog would just go and is wide open country and is rolling hills. And all of a sudden, the, you just see this little white thing just sticking up on the next <laughs> hillside, and you're like, oh, here we go. And then the anticipation of that. But uh, you know that ranks that ranks up there really high. It, when you when you talk about quail and carp, carp's a, um, a quail aficionado too. What I love about a covey rise at quail is you hear them before mm -hmm. you ever see anything, right? It's like a swarm of bumblebees. You're like, oh, it's on, mm -hmm. right? When you mm -hmm. think twenty birds and those little, you know, there's forty wings. It's like. Right. Yeah. Totally. It was like, oh, now, good luck picking one of us out, Bob. You yep. know, it yep. was like, God, I love that. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I, it's the uh, it's that buzz. You hear the buzzing sound, and you, I usually end up not shooting at any of them because I can't pick one out. I'm my barrel swinging back and forth <laughs> on which one, and then you go chase down a few singles. Yeah, yeah. Oklahoma man. That's a, you talk about snow, and you know, for us up here, you know, you don't think about that, but Oklahoma, mm -hmm. um, you know, they do get a little snow, and it is a great destination for that. Um, you know, the first of the year that January. January trip uh, down there. Okay, what mm -hmm. else? What else comes to mind? Um, last last fall, I had the opportunity to go to Idaho, mm -hmm. and I've I've been fortunate to go film in a lot of places. But the whole time I was there, I must have said to the two guys that I was hunting with, "Look around for a second. Are we in a postcard here or yeah. what? Look at this. I mean, it was the cheap grass at that time of the year was white." And so goldish white, and you've got mountain landscapes around, and we're hunting at about 4,000, 5,000 feet. And again, we had incredible pointers, and we were just hunting over some of the most incredible landscapes, and we hunted Hungarian partridge and chucker partridge. And those mountain birds are just like, I left there and I, I almost convinced my wife we need to move to Idaho. <laughs> and it wasn't one specific flush. It was uh -huh. just the fact that the, there were two guys that I hunted with, uh, Robbie Henderson and, or Robbie Thompson and Trevor Henderson. Mm. And, um, so they 
were two guys that grew up in California and they just had this obsession for bird hunting, but they didn't have the opportunity there. And actually Trevor told me stories and he probably wouldn't want me saying this, but he told me stories about some of his neighbors that would put up signs saying that you're abusive or whatever towards your dog shouldn't be hunting. This is and when he lived in California. When he lived in California and anti-hunting and he had bird dogs. That's what he loved to do. Mm-hmm. So he would drive hours and hours. So anyway, he found he found this little town in Idaho and he said, oh my goodness, this is heaven. And it was. And the thing about Idaho is that 70% of the state is publicly owned. I mean, it's public mm-hmm. land. The BLM land is everywhere. So these guys had just moved out there and they're still learning the game too. And so when I get in a field for the first time with people, you know, everybody, before we come, they want to tell you about their greatest hunt. Mm-hmm. They want to get you all pumped up. And I, I have to just lower my expectations a little bit and pump the brakes. And I've say, never okay. done that. Have you? <laughs> 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 right, right. But I, I say, what's realistic here? Like, yes, you maybe had yeah. a 30 cubby flush one day, but what was your worst day? Because right. we've got a couple of days to get this done. And so I'm always watching and listening to what they're saying and, this goes back to growing up watching the animals and the fish and the details. And so my instincts take over and I'm watching and I'm like, every time the dogs go to this one specific area on the ridge, they lock up. Hmm. And I go, guys, hold on a second. We need a game plan here. Have you, have you seen what's happened here? This, there's a rim and they're, you know, they're all sitting right on this edge so that they've got a quick escape mm-hmm. because it's 500 feet, 800 feet, 1,000 foot drops off these edges. And the birds clearly were using that. And so they're like, oh, yeah. And I go, you see that right there? That one right there and that one? And we got on a roll and we locked up probably a dozen coveys in the next hour and a half. Public land, explosion. We saw hundreds of birds hmm. and it was it was a day that I will absolutely never so, forget. So, t- so the the dogs are locking up mm-hmm. on the edge of this cliff, and the birds are underneath the cliff. Right? No, they're, so they're on top. They're so on top typically, the- what it would be is there would be you know there was basically all cheat grass up yep. on top, and a lot of rocks mixed in, and it was wherever there was a flat area. Gotcha. And then the flat would basically extend out into like a point. Okay. And they would always be on the end of that flat on the point so that they, I mean, there were birds that exploded where I went to shoot and I'm looking down and I, in my mind, I said, if I pull the trigger, <laughs> we are not getting that bird. So there was, I didn't even shoot at some of the covers sure. because it was such an extreme drop. There's no way we'd ever get to them. Huh. But that's where those birds live. I mean, there's wild of birds as you'll ever hunt. Um, I, we flushed, um, sage grouse that day wow. you know and i never had flushed a sage grouse before and i and i thought i just flushed a wild turkey but <laughs> no it was a sage grouse i mean they're big bombers and um you know then we went down into the snake river canyon the next day and we hunted quail down there and again public land anybody can go do it and i kept thinking to myself look at where we are we've got this blue water the 500 foot canyons that we're walking down in the bottom and there's quail flushing and they're just you know and <laughs> you just i mean i i told the story to so many bird hunters and i'm pretty sure i've convinced several of them to make the trip <laughs> out there but in three days of hunting we we never saw another hunter hmm. and that to me always stands out that all these places that i've been going to uh, most of them are public land and very rarely do I see another bird hunter. So, it, so was this your first time chasing chuckers? Mm-hmm. So I've never done it legit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
they say the saying about hunting chuckers is you do it the first time for enjoyment or the experience for and fun. you do it right second time is for revenge the rest of the time is for revenge <laughs> yes, right? yes do you have that does that resonate with you if, no, clearly not, because last week I was just hunting chucker again, <laughs> and I loved every second of it, every single second of it. And I don't know why, I just, I love when it's difficult, mm-hmm. because to me, then the reward is so much sweeter, mm-hmm. and there is nothing more difficult than, one, getting yourself up on top of a mountain to where those birds live, and then getting, two, getting close enough, and now three convincing a cameraman to follow me up there and record it and i oh my goodness i always feel so bad because basically the cameras that we're taking are you know they're big right bulky cameras and he's essentially got 45 pounds on his shoulder because the lens that we want him to have to really be able to zoom in to try to get that that action whether he's 50 feet away or 200 yards away he can zoom in on that but Getting that camera up there, lugging it around. We put on 23 miles last week in the mountains. Holy cow. And uh, he's still alive, so I'm thankful for <laughs> well, that. Because that, you know, that was one thought that, okay, I should ask you about how you get in shape for the season. But screw that, because it's not about you mm-hmm. as the hunter. Because mm-hmm. I've been on those hunts with you. It's the camera person that's behind that's yep. not only covering the same ground, but like you said, carrying the camera. Carrying the camera. And whether, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're hunting chuckers in, in Idaho or following you through cattail sloughs in a pheasant field, mm-hmm. right, or trying to carry a camera on top of a horse, right? Oh, my goodness. You yep. know, so There's another one. Like that, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's so underappreciated how much work filming it these is. shows are. It really is, and that's that's a part of the deal. And I always tell people that we're hunting with the first thing I tell them is something that Ron told me the very first day that I started. He said, "If the camera doesn't see it, it didn't happen," <laughs> because we're there to film a television show about hunting. You know, we're not there to right. hunt. You know, and that's that's the bottom line: is we're there to capture whatever the camera sees is what we can then use. We don't like to talk about it and then but not be able to put it on. So I got to ask yeah. that question, right? Yeah. So here's the opportunity. The best thing that's happened when you turned around is like, oh, no, it, the camera wasn't rolling. Oh, it happens every every <laughs> single hunt. It really does. I mean, because he's like, oh, well, they flew that way. And I go, well, those ones did, but these are the ones I was shooting for. Where, he goes, which ones did you get? He goes, those ones? Oh, no. No. Do you ever have, like, do you ever discuss, like, especially you could do it when there's a point. Like, mm-hmm. here's what might happen. Who are you going to film? Mm-hmm. Do you ever sort of make pre-plans as you walk? You can't. In, you you know, really can't. I mean, the, the cameraman essentially after the fl- first flush or two is going to say, okay, got it. And, and a lot of our guys have been doing it for several years. So they, they know the drill. Um, but I go over it every single time beforehand. With the hunters we that we're we're filming with, and I say, you know, what are your expectations here? How do your dogs work? I want to know. I want to know everything. And then I'm watching. I'm sitting back, and I, the first time we go in, especially if it's a point, I I basically say, okay, uh, Bill or Steve or John or Tim mm-hmm. or whatever the cameraman's name is, I say, okay, I want you right over the, behind his back, and basically giving us his perspective on it, and then we'll see what happens from there. And we kind of we kind of go from there. Um, but obviously, pheasants react different than quail than chucker than i mean and that's the beauty of it every bird is so unique in its own way that you have to figure it out and for some of the camera guys that's what they love they're like i 
Yes. Yeah. I, not only did you get it, you shot it, but I shot it too. I got that one. You know, so there, there it's is a double. Yeah, we're we're fist pumping together when it when it comes when it comes together. Yeah. Well, and you ha- you guys do have a great team of uh, photojournalists, right? Camera mm-hmm. guys, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Aaron Ochtenberg by name mm-hmm. because he's been doing the show since the days of Pheasants Forever Television. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know listeners have ever been part of Pheasants Forever Television or The Flush and Aaron Ochtenberg was along, they'll know. I mean, that guy mm-hmm. knows his craft is Betty is as well, if not better than any um, outdoor camera person out there just a great guy grew up in north dakota yep and knows the game right he knows how to read a bird dog and capture it on film he rarely misses anything he rarely does he's as good as they get um he's able to keep up he's in good shape he loves being out there pretty much just as much as we do um and most of the guys are that way as well he just has so much experience he's so calm and cool no matter what and he's just rolling he's i'm i'm yep I always I don't I don't even ask half the time like get that and he's like yeah yeah, yeah, yeah with Aaron that. you don't you don't even ask. have to ask you just assume and most time he, yeah so uh, you know we're, we're sort of mixed we got editor of the magazine we got the print covered we're mm-hmm. doing a podcast so we got the radio cover we got the TV guy right mm-hmm. and the, one of my favorite compo- or episodes of TV is always the bloopers the outtakes right so yep. we can't do that visually. But give us a, a couple of bloopers that have happened on the flush in your time. Well, we had a guy fall in an eight-foot hole one time. He's filming, camera on his shoulder, doesn't see it, and boom, down, just straight down. Eight foot? Yeah, like he was down the bottom of the hole. Um, Which camera guy was this? Uh, I won't name his name. He's not with our company okay, anymore, okay. and he's doing some other stuff. I don't even think he's in television anymore. He he. It wasn't because of that. But he no. <laughs> he survived. He survived. <laughs> yeah, but it, maybe maybe it was like six feet. But either way, he was literally boom disappeared, walking through a, a flat field. Down what in kind Iowa. of hole? Like a, oh, a sinkhole? It must have been. I, I don't know. know. Sinkhole. So that Car- happens. We've yeah. blown through cameras. Uh, they get wet. I've seen several guys uh, fall down. I mean, last year we were in. Um, we were in South Dakota on the horse horseback hunt, and we made it about 60 feet before the horse decided to keep up with everybody and while the cameraman was filming. And let's just say that camera didn't make it after that first 60 feet, you know. So that's the reality of trying to capture everything. Said, boy, we need to rethink our plans yeah. here. Um, I don't know. I Have mean, you ever been on a like done a full episode, like three week or three days, four days, and mm-hmm. you get back and you're like. We didn't get anything. Something oh, malfunctioned. Absolutely. The, the same horseback hunt. We ended up, okay, so we rigged the camera up. We got it to work. We filmed. We hunted hard for three days. We made it happen. And we get back, and I'm going through all the footage, and the disc with all of our, the, the with all of the action that we finally mm-hmm. experienced was gone. Cor- we, was it corrupt or it just No, don't, I have no idea. The, oh, cameraman, the cameraman was basically sick to his stomach. I mean... I felt awful because obviously we spent all that time out there, right. but and yeah. the people I mean, that you were with, the people that like, we were oh, with, God. yeah, yep, Man. and we were not able to air that show because obviously we have great footage of horses running around up in the prairies and or not running, but we're yeah. you know I mean yeah. we had every every aspect of it, but all the footage of the birds that we got, and it's like well that's not we can't air a hunting show and we don't actually have the birds, you know yeah. it's like ah. Oh. So, yeah, that's a real, real, um, that's a tough one when that happens. So when you go on a hunt and you absolutely don't have the birds, Mm -hmm. right, you don't have the action, 
do you still have a story or do you can that and you move on to something else? Fortunately, I've never, I've never not aired a story. Hmm. Um, and I think Ron would maybe say he had one in 20 some years of wow. doing it because the focus that Ron, the way that he's always produced his shows is that it's not always about the bird or a fish or whatever we're going for. It's about the people mm-hmm. and they have a story and the, the, the bird or the fish, you know, the, the target is always the secondary piece. And so even if that gets away, um, the story is still the same. It's about the passion that that person has. It's about the habitat and the work they've done to make it all come to life. And it's about their bird dogs or, I mean, everybody has a story. You can go and talk to everybody you've ever met and they'll tell you a story, right? Right. So we do our best to capture that as best that we can. And then we use the footage that we gather with the birds to kind of keep the excitement up, if you will, while telling their story. A little bit of success goes a long way when you're telling stories like that. Mm-hmm. A little bit of hunting success. You don't have to have a bird every minute. Right. You you can you can have a little bit of success, and it brings it all home. Mm-hmm. And I think about the the episode through the duration of Pheasants Forever Television and the Flush that I've gotten the most feedback from over the history of the show is Tess, the three-legged bird dog. Yeah. Do you remember this show? Episode? It was a long time ago. It was ago. a long time ago, but uh, I think it was a uh, wire hair, uh, maybe from South Dakota, that, um, you know, telling the story about this pup that had basically a life-threatening injury, and pup survives, and now, you know, three legs, and you would never know the difference. The right. heart, you know, the heart of a champion, and... Uh, it got so much feedback on that show. In your time, what's the, the episode you've gotten the most feedback on that from mm. viewers that re- really something resonated with them? Um, you know, they've a lot of them have blended together because, like I said, we produce other television mm-hmm. shows too. Um, Just for our listeners, what are the you, you mentioned eight shows? So we've got yep. we've got the Flush, yep. we've got Minnesota Bound mm-hmm. in, in in on Care Eleven in Minnesota. Yep. You've got uh, Destination Polaris, yep. right? You got mm-hmm. um, the what's the Predator show? The, we don't do that one anymore. Okay. Yep. There was a company in Fox Pro that we produced their their uh, their show for a few years, but uh, yeah, we due have Due North. Due North Outdoors on Fox Sports. Yep. Made for, made the, outdoors. for the Outdoors. Yep. Rooster Tales on Fox Sports as well. Another Upland Bird Hunting yeah, show. Yeah. Rooster Tales is um, a lot of the um, same type of stories mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. from the Flush. Yep. Operation Fishing Freedom is another television show, okay. and that tells the stories about people that have survived unbelievable life events while in service, hmm. and they share their stories out on a boat, and it's as real and raw as you would ever. I mean, it's. I watch those stories and I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, you know, um, and they're real. They're it's not Hollywood in any way. And we found that sitting them out on a boat and just start like this, where we're just talking, they start telling you a story. And a lot of times we have the ability today. I mean, they have a lot of photos. They have a lot of video now from some of these stories, and so we're able to basically put that back together. Um, while they're telling us hmm. things that real life things, I mean, people that have been, I know we're getting sidetracked yeah, here, but people right. that have been in positions where they were ready to take their life, huh. you know, and they'll open up about that and say, you know, like, I mean, this one guy and I've got goosebumps right now thinking about it, but 
he had a bag over his head and his phone rang and his brother said, Hey, can you pick up my kids? I'm running late. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'll be right there. And had he not gotten that call, he wouldn't be here, you know? And it's just because of the things he experienced over fighting in a war, you know? And so it's, it, again, it comes back to our company. Ron started it by telling stories about people in the outdoors, which were his passions. And, um, so all of our shows are, outdoor stories for the most part some of them are adventure but we like to think that we always bring it back to telling a story Mm. about a person or a main character or characters Mm -hmm. and uh in this case um with bird hunters the passion is as strong as in any other outdoor avenue whether it's big game hunting or fishing the people that i've been able to meet over it just in my short time period of being able to produce this show in Ron Shara is still producing stories, which is yeah. He inspiration. keeps saying, ah, "I've got to step away this year." We just we yeah. just talked uh, two days ago. Ron really would like to figure out a TV um, angle for a yep. hunt in Iowa. Right? right? Yeah. Yeah. So here we go. That's where he first started. He grew up in Iowa too. Yep. So I mean. How, he, he how has, old is Ron now? I don't think he would let me tell you. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, he does. I don't but think he, he wants to say that. Well, let's just say he's old enough where you got to respect the fact that he's putting it in. Yep. Right? And he doesn't mm-hmm. need to for any reason anymore. He loves you know, it. He, exactly right. He's, mm-hmm. he, he loves it today as much as he did when he probably first started writing, as much as when, you know, Pheasants Forever Television was conceived in 20, mm-hmm. 2005. Um, and it's... You know, we can only hope to be that passionate, you know, when, yep. when that time comes for us. Right? I, I'm always amazed at him, and I'm always, I tell him all the time I'm thankful that he gave me an opportunity because he's started something really special in the outdoor world, and he's been able to carry it over 26 years, I think, 25 years he's been doing outdoor television. And so, you know, I just try to keep up with him, is what <laughs> I say. I'm like, I'm just trying to keep what you started going. And that really, for me, means taking myself out of, it's not about me, it's about trying to tell a story about where we are and who we're hunting with and what we're hunting for. And uh, when I do that, it always ends up lending itself to hopefully what I think people want to see. Sure. You know, and there's no like real diagram to say what makes a really good television show and what doesn't because I don't know that, you know, I try to if something's interesting to me that somebody tells me their story and something that's happening and I say, well, I'm interested in that. And I hope that other people watching feel the same way. So we've talked a little bit about the birds, mm-hmm. we've talked a little bit about uh, some characters along the way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the worst thing you can do is bag on a man's dog or a gal's dog. Right. Mm-hmm. And we won't do that. We won't. No, but we will. We will point out a few of the exceptional dogs that uh, you've been able to follow through the yeah. the uplands, um, chasing quail and chasing pheasants. What um, what bird dogs? You, know, you said you don't have a dog of your own right now, but mm-hmm. what dogs are like, gosh, I wish that was my dog. Um, well, I've got a buddy that I've hunted with now several times, George Lyle, yeah. and he lives in western Minnesota. You know George. Oh, yeah, George. He's, he works for Runnings yeah. and, and is a Pheasants Forever member down in seven, uh, South Southwest Minnesota. Spectacular bird dogs. Uh, Boone is an English pointer. You think he's four? No, he might be five. Um, 
and then Tucker, who we just had ACL surgery. And those two dogs I've hunted with, I've hunted quail with them. I've hunted um, rough grouse up in Canada with them. And I've hunted chucker, huns, and sage grouse in Wyoming with them. And just watching, I just feel like, man, look at that. Look at those dogs do what they're bred to do. And they know what they're bred to do. And they go out there and they never leave without getting it done. And so when and I grew now up, he has a young dog, right? Yeah. A little cocker. Yeah, he's What's got a little it, mini. Is mini her, is her name, <laughs> and she's just this little tiny sweetheart. But and she she's goes a out spectacular there. dog too. Amazing. And so when you, you know, a lot of people say, "What's your favorite breed?" And I, I couldn't, I, I don't know if I can answer that because I think the dogs, you know, watching dozens and dozens of amazing bird dogs mm-hmm. over the years now. Um, they really all take on their own personalities, mm-hmm. and I think it depends a lot on their owner. Um, it really does. I mean, they're trained by us, by a man or a woman, you know, and they have tendencies. They're all unique in their own way, and I've come to appreciate every one of them. Now, I always thought I'd get... I'm laughing because I've always dreamed of having a section or a, a feature story in the Pheasants Forever Journal of... Dogs and their owners like lookalikes. Right? <laughs> right. Like, Pheasants Forever member Joe. It is. It is Weimariner, and you look and you're like, holy cow! Look right. at that, right? Because right. there, are, we've all encountered these people. People probably would say the same thing about me, like, oh my god, you look like that. You look Asky, just like Asky. Right? Yeah, yeah. But the, I would just get a charge if we ever were able to run a story on a lookalikes. They're you know members in their Bird dogs. Oh, well, I'm, I write it down. Write it down, Carl. There could be some political problems with that one, but I just think it'd be you'll hilarious. get you'll get submissions if you open it up. I well, guarantee that we could send out a Facebook post or something. <laughs> send us send us your this is my my dog pics. <laughs> <laughs> I bet we'd get some. Oh, yeah. You would get a lot of hits. Or somebody would send it on their behalf, <laughs> right. for sure. All right, well, we'll put out the call right now. Send it to me on Facebook at Pheasants Forever, and we'll see if we get enough. Yeah, we want to we see the Clumber Spaniel look like <laughs> out there. Right, right. Well, so, yeah, growing up, I always thought I would get a lab because I loved the variety. I loved upland hunting, and I love waterfall hunting. So I thought, you know, I can do everything with that. But now, or if I had a lab, you know, I get mm-hmm. a retriever, and they go water, and right. I... But now just seeing, um, you know, I've found it to be very helpful when we go hunting with somebody who has pointers because, again, from a camera perspective, yeah, I mean, a dog that's willing to just, uh, that's able to lock down a a covey or a bird and then get us in position, I'm always thankful for that versus a wild flush. But even a lab, you know, they're going to, they all have their signs. So you're like, Mm -hmm. get ready, get ready, you know, and I... You know, so I always have a cam or a, a microphone in the uh, cameraman's ear. You know, he's always, I always tell the guy that, you know, whoever's do- dog we're following, I always say, when you see your dog giving the signs like there's something there, please just say, right. you know, my dog is birdie. Just let the cameraman know so that he's on the dog because that, you know, I'm still learning what your dog tendencies are or whatever, but they know every owner knows the tendencies of a bird dog and so i you know i'm leaning heavily towards uh, a pointer here soon Um, oh really unless you have another kid let's go let's go no no we're 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 leaning heavily towards (laughs) well let's go deeper than just a pointer pointer or a pointing dog 
There's a lot of breeds that are pointing dogs. Right. Or do you, because of George, do you like pointer pointers? I love, the, I've, I've hunted with some really incredible English pointers and German shorthaired pointers. So I think it's kind of right now between those two breeds for me. <sighs> That's okay. you, do, you want, do you want to lobby him for Brittany? Well, we're gonna we'll get into this a little later. He's gonna get a chance to hunt with my little French. Brittany I cannot wait well. for well, that. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly where I'm going right now. So you know, you, you film all your shows in the fall of one year, mm-hmm. right? And then they air the um, the summer and fall. So season fe- uh, the flush starts basically July one and yep. runs through December thirty first. So right. what you're filming in the fall of one year is going to air beginning July 1 of 2019. So tell mm-hmm. us what's on the docket. Well, yeah, first of all, I mean, so how the network works on the Outdoor Channel yeah. is they run 13 weeks. They go by quarters. So they, they'll they do 13 full weeks, and then they rerun our same 13 episodes right. again. So, so episode it's on for- 1 on July 1 mm-hmm. would air again. Uh, let's see. October, October 1. 1. Yeah, exactly. And I would love to be able to film it right now and then have it run next right, week. Right. But in a, it's, it's almost impossible to do it with the way that their, their network schedules run. So anyway, that's what, yeah, that's our timeline on that. Um, but coming up, is that what the yeah, question was? Yeah. 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 Well, so we're your fall. Like yeah. right now you're, we're in the heart know. of it. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, so yeah, we've got a, a big variety. We always try to mix it up. I mean, we're a Minnesota based production company, but yet we understand that our viewers are all over the country. And so, like I said, last year, I hunted, uh, I was able to, uh, successfully bag 10 different upland bird species, which wow. is still crazy to me. And so, yeah, I mean, we hunted from Arizona to, uh, Michigan, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota. I did Dakota. an episode in Alabama. There you go. Yep. Alabama, uh, Montana, Idaho, Nebraska, Kansas. I'm sure I'm missing something there. Wisconsin. I think we did a Wisconsin one too last year. This year, uh, we're filming uh, Wyoming. We've got a Boundary Waters grouse hunt. Um, we'll be in Arizona, Texas Panhandle for pheasants. Um, oh, that's fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and we again, like I said, we try to mix it up as much as possible. I believe we'll be in Minna, or yeah, we'll do another Minnesota hunt. I think Iowa, North Dakota, South Dakota, Kansas, maybe Colorado and potentially even Illinois. Um, and I've got about four or five other hunts that are kind of pending that if it works out, it's it's a short – It's that the problem is it's a short window. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to go 13 places, you know, for – essentially it's five days for us right. on our end. It's five, maybe even six days. So if you add all that up over the course of a hunting season, it's a very busy, short, packed window. We try to mix up. Um, all the different birds that we possibly can get into one season. And I will say that, you know, we're always looking for our next great bird hunt. I mean, we get a lot of viewer feedback, which is awesome. I love it. I love to talk to the people when they email in or call. And I always tell them, you know, they'll say, oh, I've got this spot here. And I say, hey, we're always looking for the next great adventure. If you have it and you got a good story to tell, please share it with me. And it might work out that we can... Uh, you know, come join you for a couple of days. So drop it on us. Like, how how do people reach you? Um, I know yeah. Facebook page uh, for the flush, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, but then you're you're on social media. What's your email address if people have an idea? Yeah. So the, actually, the best way to do it is probably to go to the flush website, which is just the flush TV. 
The flush.tv. The flush.tv. Yep. And then there's a contact form on there and it just says, you know, you can fill in, you know, many different fields as you want there to tell us part of your story. A lot of people just go right to our flush face Facebook page as well. And then they'll send us private messages there with an idea or something they think would be a great television show. And Twitter, I think you're outdoors dad trav i think so yeah and i i have to admit that i am the world's worst twitter -er. (laughs) okay so don't worry about twitter (laughs) go to uh, yeah theflush.tv yep right yep theflush.tv is where it's at that's that's Mm -hmm. perfect um so well you two guys will be hunting for an episode that will air in 2019 Mm -hmm. right so tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about uh the game plan for for the uh tom carpenter travis Frank extravaganza. Well, yep. I'm just going to sit back and watch Tom do his thing and tell the cameraman <laughs> right. to roll. What's the story? Well, well, it sort of started out that uh, well, Travis and I have known each other a few years now, mm-hmm. and uh, we wanted to do a hunt, and we it, we've discovered sort of um, serendipitously that we both had an interest in hunting uh, the Sand Lake National Wildlife Refuge in Ooh. South Dakota. It's a great big place. Travis has some contacts there, but it's a late opening. It's going to be a late season hunt. It's in December. Mm-hmm. We're going to go and hunt pheasants. And um, and you have to buy a, a license specific to hunt the refuge, right? I'm not that far along yet, but I, I believe, thanks for the tip. <laughs> I believe, I, I'm pretty sure that's yeah. true, and it's yeah. something along the lines of a uh, yeah, you know, like you said, it's December twelfth ish that yep, it, that it yep, opens up. It's the tenth, I think. Tenth. Yep, tenth. I believe it's the tenth this year. But yeah, and then it runs for just a couple of weeks there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so we're we're gonna go out there, and um, I I had originally actually I proposed to Travis a story about my. Brittany, who's starting her 15th season, and my French Brittany, who's in her first season. She's just a pup. And it sort of evolved into this sand lake hunt. We might try and do a little something to get the old dog on a bird earlier, mm. but we are, are going to do this late season hunt. And, and Lark, the little Brittany, will be about nine months old by then and have about three months of hunting under her belt. So we're hoping for an interesting hunt. We know there are some birds out there. Yep. And uh, it's not going to be easy peasy. It's cat tails massive yeah. massive amounts of cover i mean it's a it's a push mm-hmm. yeah and i think you know for me i'm i'm really more than anything excited to watch you and your bird dogs i mean not to ruin yep. it for anybody that's, <laughs> that's going to be watching the show but there's something about a, a guy who's hunted for 15 years behind mm-hmm. a dog and really has a special bond there and then you're creating another bond i mean anybody that's watching it can't help but relate to that in some mm-hmm. way if, if they're an upland bird hunter and so having a place that's unique in this sand lake so it's combining in from my television producer side you know sure. people always wonder what makes a what would i would consider to be a good story i'd say well we've got a great story in tom and his bird dogs and we've got a great place to tell that story and i think combining those two things most likely is going to give us some pretty spectacular moments out in the field yep. without being able to predict anything. You've got a couple of great, um, you got some components that components, work towards the story. Yep. How many times do you go in with what you think is going to be the story and actually it comes out and that's the story that you came with? 75% of the time. Oh, that much. Okay. I would say yeah, maybe 50. Okay. I mean, I, I know what I've been told and what I assume is going to happen. And like, if there's a three legged dog, when we get there, I know right. we're going to leave with a three legged dog on camera. <laughs> right. Um, so there is that part of it, but you always, always find out something while you're standing next to a guy out in the field and he starts opening up about this or that. Right. And you say, really? Tell me more, you know, and before you know it, 
the story you thought you were filming took some takes a massive turn and you end up with something completely different. But I try to be flexible and our cameramen are always looking for that too. So as long as we're working together as a team and sometimes we have multiple cameramen out there too. So um, we're always working as a team to try to see something as it's happening and document it. That's why they call themselves photojournalists right, right. because it's, it's as raw. This is not, there's nothing staged ever. And so, um, you know, we try to capture what's happening there and then that's the reality of what you've got. And to me, that's what separates, you know, whether it's any sort of television, but in particular outdoor television, the good from the marginal mm -hmm. is when you, and you can tell this when a team, a, a host and a photojournalist go into a setting and they're flexible enough to adapt and cognizant enough to adapt to the story that's happening in front of their eyes, rather than, we came here to shoot a moose, and golly, we're going to shoot the biggest darn moose we can get, right? Yeah. yeah. And when you mm -hmm. show up and there is test the three-legged bird dog, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, it really doesn't matter how many quail you find. Well, here's a great example. Bob, you and I, we filmed up in northwest Minnesota on a right. sharp-tailed grouse hunt, and we're driving down the road, and I'm riding with Matt Brewer. He's taken us to some of these places that he's hunted his whole life, and we're documenting the story of Minnesota's sharp-tailed grouse population that nobody knows about, mm -hmm. right? And we're driving down the road, and I can just see something changing in his eyes as he's mm -hmm. looking because there's smoke in the distance in front, and I, I always have a camera with me that I keep for just this exact moment. We rolled up in that property that we were going to go hunt, had just been burned up and tilled and i mean that was essentially the last time he's right. probably ever hunted it and what happened what we found out after was that the the landowner had passed away kids took it over and they're going to put it into crops Crop, i believe yeah the yeah. crp contract had expired mm -hmm. we were out there the first of october mm -hmm. crp contract had expired the end of september there had been a change in control over that land and all of a sudden that the habitat that existed the day before mm -hmm. and Matt had scouted and was filled with sharp tails. Mm -hmm. There was, was a bulldozer gone. right there on the corner. And there was, there was actually two little pieces of, uh, of willows mm -hmm. that were still standing. And we said, let's just walk it for old time's sake. But I, I just rolled on Matt as we were driving up just so I had that. Right. You know, and that's one of those things where you can never predict. And the story immediately took a turn from that point on. Right. And that was a last time hunting a spot that you grew up hunting. And so I think, I at least from my idea, when we get people that send us all oh, these great stories about something that happened, I was, and I always say, oh, I would love to have been there to right. record that because you can't make that up again. So it's hard for somebody when they write in, I say, I'm sorry, but we can't we can't tell that story because we have video cameras. That might be a good newspaper story mm -hmm. when we can write it with words, but we need to show people. We need, the camera needs to see something. Right. So that's when people say what makes a good television show, I always say we need to be able to see something that's extraordinary or document something that is special. So you have seen a lot of extraordinary things. You mentioned being able to, to shoot 10 different species mm -hmm. of bird last year alone. Mm -hmm. So let's, Let's transition from the, you know, the host and producer hat, put on that blaze orange hat of yours. You've, mm -hmm. you've been able to hunt a lot. A lot. And see a lot of different birds, a lot of different dogs, a lot of different types of habitat. Give us some tips for, you know, folks listening that want to uh, plan their own 
you know, road trip, bird mm-hmm. hunt, you know, some places that might be under the radar or things that transfer from quail to chucker to pheasants that, you know, just like when you go to somewhere new, think about this. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think I mentioned this earlier. I try to focus on public lands as much as possible. And I'm always amazed at the amount of public land that is out there that isn't being hunted. And if if you really plan ahead, um, one of the things that stands out to me a lot is how many birds are using public land. And then when I get there, I always ask the guys that I'm with, I'm like, why are there so many birds here? And why isn't anybody hunting them? And then, you know, it's a very common answer that I get is they say, well, there were several people hunting here the first week to 10 days of the season. Now they've got their fix and they're probably going deer hunting or they, you know, they think, oh, that land has been hunted too hard. I'm not going to go hunt there and I'm going to go hunt private land. But inevitably what happens is the crops are still in most of the time during the first week, 10 days of any upland bird season, you know. And so now the crops are out and mid to late season hunting on public land can be phenomenal and there's nobody doing it. The other thing I would say is by being able to hunt a lot of different kinds of birds around the country in different habitats, every one of them unique. Um, I'm like a sponge out there and this goes back to growing up, watching the animals and everything. And when I show up, I'm just, I'm paying attention to every detail. Every bird, um, is very unique to its own cover. So when you go to a place, I always anticipate the first day just kind of just watching the dogs, watching the birds, watching the land, and try to figure out how to make the rest of my hunt really good because you need to have that time on the ground, mm. especially if you've never gone somewhere before. But there almost always is birds there. If you do your homework and someone tells you they're there, a lot of guys take the easy route out. They just do. And inevitably you're going to be doing the same thing as the guy before you and the mm-hmm. guy after you. Whereas if you just sit back for a little bit and watch, you might say, let's go walk that little piece of uh, grass over there or the willows over here or whatever, because you might find that, and here's a prime example, sharp-tailed grouse in South Dakota and sharp-tailed grouse in Minnesota live in completely mm. different areas. And so, I did a show, you know, I've done shows in South Dakota and the Sharpies are going to be on the hillsides and the short grass and whatever. In Minnesota, you're walking through the grass. You're like, where are the birds? There's no birds here. The second you step into some willows. Yeah, some brush. Yep, they're in the brush. And so that same bird might be living in a different piece of habitat in a different region. Right. You know, and I would say if you've never done a bird hunt out west, you just got to do it. Out you, west, out like west. Um, Montana, Idaho. Yep, yeah. yep. Uh, Wyoming, um, any of those mountainous areas, just for the experience. Um, I'm madly in love with Hungarian partridge right now. <laughs> I, I have to admit it. I just absolutely love that bird. It's a mixture of quail, which are that, that covey explosion mm-hmm. that is unforgettable. And then they're a little bit bigger. And they still hold, so you've got if you've got a good bird dog, and the birds hold, and then when they explode, the backdrop is a mountain, yeah, and you're like, yeah. oh my goodness, it doesn't. I don't even care if I get one. Look at this, you know. So you throw in chucker, you throw in sharp-tailed grouse, you, you know, some of those mountain birds. It it's definitely changed me as a hunter. I appreciate it a lot more, but I've I've learned that there's so much 
land that's open to you, me, Carp. I mean, mm-hmm. this land is your land. This <laughs> land is my land, right? Yeah. Do you want to sing it? I won't. That's <laughs> as much as you're going to get. But, hey, it's it's wide open out there. And I always leave thinking, I can't believe I didn't see another person out mm. there hunting those birds. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd add two little tips to that. One is Travis is right about the accessibility and availability and the numbers of birds on public land is amazing. Um, If you want to hedge your bets, I always suggest to people, invest some of that vacation time you have and go midweek. If you think you aren't going to see anybody on a weekend, you aren't really aren't going to see anybody on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Mm -hmm. Uh, So do that. Another tip, and this relates to one of our new sponsors, and I just say it because it's so good. We used it down in Kansas is Onyx Maps. Mm -hmm. Get something like Onyx, and you sit on your phone, and you don't even have to have cell service. You can download the map for the place you're going, Mm -hmm. and you can see those boundaries. And in some places, like Montana, it doesn't really matter. You're on 18 square miles of BLM. But in Kansas, you can you could put in a layer and we could see the Weehaws, the walk-in That's areas. That's a great mm-hmm. point. I mean, we, we don't have any sponsors associated with this show. No, so this, isn't, P- a, this yeah. isn't a pitch at all, but you're right. It's a the, tool. The tool that Onyx mm-hmm. creates from, um, you know, I've used it grout, rough grouse hunting in the woods, um, you know, Fort Pier grasslands chasing yep. Sharpies and chickens. Yeah. It's a tremendous it goes it goes everywhere with me because yeah i mean in the the hunt i was on last week we actually had a dog go on point and the guy that we were with he pulled up his phone he goes and there's it's an invisible boundary yeah you know and he goes that's that's actually private right there and we just looked and we're like we're standing on public but the dog ranged you know and so it's like all right we got to go Come on, you know, yeah. and the dog is like, hey, whoa, 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 you know, <laughs> could you, I, could there's you a bunch of f- birds. <laughs> Can't you get them to flush those birds back toward no, you? Oh, <laughs> no, and it's like those birds, no, no, they don't. They, yeah, but uh, no, I mean, really the opportunities are out there. I, I always used, growing up, I hunted what I knew yeah. and was kind of like afraid of that. And now in this role that I'm in, I have been tremendously blessed to be able to go and experience some of these hunts in these places but really, it just tells, you know, like if I could tell you, if you have your week of pheasant hunting in South Dakota and you've been doing it forever, I'm not telling you don't do that. But consider driving another four hours west or five hours west just one mm-hmm. time and and just experience it because you might never uh, think the same of bird hunting again. Uh, all right. So, you, you know, all these different birds, right? Mm-hmm. Ten different birds last year. You bring them home, you get to eat a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah. What what jumps out is like, you know, because you, as you know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm a closet foodie. Well, I'm not even a closet. Everybody knows I love, you know, eating wild game, yep. preparing yep. it differently. What What's like, oh, God. R- Rough grouse. Yeah. Rough grouse yeah, is like, still number one. I mean, that's the first upland bird I ever harvested when I was a young kid. And still to this day, I don't know if anything beats that. Yeah, how for, do you cook For it? hunting and eating? Right. Yep. Yeah. Both of them. Yep. I, I, there's that. It takes me back walking through the woods, you know, on the leaves are down or on their way down and you just walk in a trail through the woods or whatever it might be. I just absolutely love that feeling. Um, it, we actually, uh, chucker is what I've been told has been, you know, the only thing comparable to it. And so last year in Idaho, um, I had an opportunity at Chucker and I got a double. I'm not lying. It was, it was the first time ever shooting at Chucker and I went boom, boom. And, uh, so I was so pumped. I was so pumped. And we were getting on a plane very, very early that next morning. And the guys that I was hunting with, they both loved 
love those birds mm-hmm. and they raved and raved about it and um so we cleaned them and we were going to eat them that night and we ended up not eating them because they had a recipe they wanted to show me and i just said they of course they wanted me to take them and do it and i said no you guys mm-hmm. eat eat this bird because you know i knew what it meant to them too so I still haven't tasted. There's the, a chucker meal out there waiting <laughs> for you There's a chucker for me. Good reasons to go back. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. All right, so. as, as we're starting to wind down, um, I know there's probably a story in your mind that you've been searching for, right? Like the, mm-hmm. there's, I, I'd love for this to come together. What's that story for our listeners that, you know, maybe will resonate? Like, I bet you I can make that happen. Well, um, the more birds I've hunted in the mountains, the further up the mountain I feel like I want to go. So are we, are we going to talk about Himalayan snowcocks right now? <laughs> we, we might be, yeah. I've had some invitations to go to some pretty spectacular places, I'm not going to lie. Um, but one invitation I have never gotten is to go hunt up in Alaska. Oh, ptarmigan. Ptarmigan up there. I've actually been to Alaska filming for a different show, and I've seen the ptarmigan while I was up there, and I thought, you know, in my mind, you know, mm-hmm. it starts turning, the wheels start turning. But someday I'd love to go back there and just experience that kind of a bird hunt in, in, in that that scene, you know. Like I, I find myself stopping yeah. the, the shoot all the time or the hunt or just, just for a moment watching the dog. And I always just – I have photos from every single place I've ever been. And I'm really happy that I have that, and I really don't take it for granted. But um, – I don't know where I'm going to go next, to be honest. I mean, I got invited to South America, to South Africa. I mean, they've got different upland birds in different places. Ron is actually doing some research right now on Hawaii because don't I want to say 12 upland bird species in Hawaii. Is that right? I, I don't know the number. I know there's but it's a somewhere, variety. Yeah, it's something like that. And there's that, that Pheasants Forever chapter in it, Hawaii it, now. It, so. And there's, you know, a lot of... Well, People are scratching their head. Pheasants in Hawaii, but, but apparently they're in the pineapple orchards in Hawaii. Oh, I believe it. Yeah, you know, I, I wonder. It. The, can you think about like I always r- fall back to. I love cooking up birds with ingredients. <laughs> you know where I'm going. I know where you're exactly from where you're where going. They're from. from they're from. Yeah. Like I, I have this recipe, and people are gonna laugh. But a blueberry rough grouse pesto pizza and people are like what yeah but blueberries from the same forest that you bag a rough grouse and it's just magical Mm -hmm. so i'm thinking about shooting a rooster in the pineapple orchards and coming up with a recipe that connects pineapple pineapple pheasant right Right. it would be tremendous well bob it looks like you and i are going to hawaii (laughs) (laughs) all right i was gonna ask to go just bob (laughs) yeah and uh we'll we'll make sure there's room for carp too okay (laughs) well as as we uh, as we wind up, any uh, any last thoughts, Mr. Carpenter, that you you want to ask uh, Travis about? No, I, I've asked my questions. I, it's just been fun sitting here listening to Travis, and it, it makes me really excited to uh, go do a show together this year. Um, hopefully, we get some stories out of it. But uh, you know, it's just been a pleasure sitting here talking with Travis and, and hearing the stories. That's uh, it's been an enjoyment for me. Well, I, likewise, I. Literally sitting in a vehicle, driving out to a bird hunt last week, listening to the podcast, thinking, wow, that's cool. And I, when you asked me to come on, I got a little nervous. Gonna lie, <laughs> right. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I was like, what am I going to say? What am I going to talk about? It's, it's, a real, it's a real honor for me just to be able to talk about this stuff and really to talk about the people mm-hmm. that I've been able to you know, spend some time in the field with. And hopefully 
people that are listening, I one day get to, if it's not me, somebody else at our company gets to come out and spend a couple days with because we really love to tell the stories that are out there. And like I said at the beginning of the show, we just scratch the surface. We know there's oodles of them out there. But uh, there's a passion there, and we all have it. Yeah, and so if you are listening and you're, a, you know, particularly if you're a Pheasants Forever member or Quail Forever member, please, uh, you know, look up Travis at theflush.tv mm-hmm. um, and drop an idea. Now, remember, there's 13 episodes a year, so we're sifting through a lot of ideas out there. But if mm-hmm. you got an interesting story, please float it uh, Travis's way. And I do want to say, you know, just, you know, Travis, you've been hosting the show for six years now and Ron before. And, you know, one of the big hesitations doing a show from an organization like ours is, you know, you're putting a face to the organization. And Mm -hmm. it's so gratifying to talk with a person like you and and Ron. And you you tell the story of, you know, guys, let's take a moment here and look around. Yeah. Right. And that's part of what this organization is about. It's not about um, bagging limits of birds. It's about these places and the people and the dogs and, you know, telling these stories and saying, stop and look, look at this habitat, look at the mountains, look at that, look at the grasses, you know, that appreciation comes through in the flush. It comes through in how you tell the stories. And that I think makes our members who are sending in $35 towards a cause Mm -hmm. feel proud. And so thank you for Hopefully, portraying yeah. that image of the organization because we're, we're, we're larger than, you know, just telling adventure stories, right? It's, mm-hmm. yeah, we want people to be jacked up about bird hunting because if they're jacked up, then they care about habitat. Mm-hmm. And you help us do that through television. So thank you very much. And well, thank thanks you. for being on the show it's today. A, it's a real pleasure. Hopefully, you know, they're driving to a field right now. Yep. You know, and if you are and you're just listening, good luck. Well, we hope <laughs> that, uh, you know, a lot of times we think about the flush being sort of that, the, the television show that can bridge those gaps between when you hunt, mm-hmm. right? And hopefully this podcast can be the soundtrack when you're on your way to the hunt. Yeah. Before I forget, um, mm-hmm. uh, before we close the show, tell us when people can tune into the flush. Cause I don't think I gave the, the air times. Well, it airs three times a week on the outdoor channel. Um, and I gotta be honest right now, we're just starting a new quarter here. So times change. The, the, the air times you can might check, change. Check yeah. your current issue of, of pheasants forever, quail forever journal. There's, yeah, there you go. There's always, Travis has a, uh, an article. He, he features one show, every issue. Mm-hmm. And, and that has a, that has the, the times in there. And I imagine mm-hmm. it's also at uh, the flush.tv. Yep. Yep. yep on, absolutely. On it's right YouTube. on the homepage. When you go there, you can see it's, you know, 8 a.m. Saturday morning or something like that, yep. um, 9 a.m. something. Yeah, it depends on the time zone. It too, does, yeah. too, yeah. So, Anyways, look for it. Um, thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. Uh, all right, folks, that was uh, Tom Carpenter, editor of the Pheasants Forever Journal, and our special guest, Travis Fang- Frank. Easy for me to say. <laughs> Travis Frank, my good friend, the greatest muskie fisherman I know, the host oh. and the producer of The Flush. Uh, look him up at theflush.tv. Uh, thanks for listening, bringing us along on your trips. This has been On the Wing Podcast with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. We'll see you in the field, and uh, we'll put another show together for you soon.